Hello and welcome to another episode of the Earthsea Love Podcast. And as you can hear, I've changed it up this time. It's me talking first and not the intro. Wow. Yeah, just thought I'd keep you on your toes just to make sure that you listen to all the episodes and don't think because you've listened to one that you've heard it all. Every episode, every story that we share is an individual lived experience of being in a woman of colour's body and having that connection with nature. So, welcome back and I'm so pleased that you're here. We're gearing up towards ending the first season. (laughs) Can you believe it? And we started back in July the 13th, our first episode dropped. But obviously, we were having plans, doing plans behind the scenes before you got this goodness live. But yeah, it has been an amazing year, (laughs) 2020. And I bet you didn't expect me to say that because, yeah, We're still in our second national lockdown here in the UK. There's still, you know, uprising and unrest around Black Lives Matter. And this, right, okay, this episode with Shira, um, we recorded it, I'm sure, in July or August. And the beauty of these episodes, and I've said it before and I say it again, they just keep on giving. They're a gift that just keep on giving. But what we talk about in this episode is just like so relevant to now, this past week. In this episode, we talk about green care, green care that is used for healing, for traumatic experiences especially within women of colour and domestic abuse and how green care, horticultural, gardening, plant love, plant care can actually heal our suffering. And what else comes out is that idea. And this is something that I was talking about this week when I was invited to talk to the trainee social workers at Sunderland University around anti-racism. This is something that isn't usually on their course, but um, a friend of a friend said that this is something that I'm passionate about. Um, so, you know, my name was given to them and they got in touch and says, we need to, we need to address this. And this is, you know, we've been in talks about this for a while, but it was the, the Black Lives Matter movement that put it on their agenda um so yeah I was talking about them to them this week about racism anti-racism and about the value of my lived experience this is where we're talking from without throughout this whole podcast from our lived experience and we're actually amplifying that because these lived experiences have value are worthy and can be shared so we can all learn from them and become a collective force for change. Anyhow, um, it's only recently that I have found the language and the words to describe this system, 
the system that we're living under is the white supremacy culture. And it's insidious. It's unseen. It just filterates, percolates, penetrates all of our lives in so many different institutions, you know, education, the family, media, politics, the the economy. And this is what we are all living under. And this is what we are talking about in this episode. Um, We don't name it, but that's what we're talking about when we say um, things that are happening within the climate, the climate crisis, the lack of climate justice. That is taking account of those indigenous, black and brown people who are already feeling the brunt, who have already been suffering for decades within, um, under climate emergencies and how these voices should be leading the environmental movement, the climate crisis movement. And we should be listening to these people because they are affected by our Western behaviours and actions that have been normalised under white supremacy culture. The idea that individuals are responsible for climate change, for climate crisis, that we can do our bit by recycling bottles, you know, changing, changing our water consumption, And again, that just means that responsibility for everything is put on the individual and and the mistakes that are happening is down to that individual and we are flawed and et cetera, et cetera. When really it's the whole system, man, imperialism, colonialism, power in the hands of a few white, middle-class or upper-class males. And this is things that we explore in this episode. Anyhow, I'm going to stop there because you need to get into this goodness. And it was so good to revisit it again. Sitting here in November. Yeah, this wisdom needs to be listened to again and again and again. And oh, one more thing before I go. As we say, we're going for a break over the winter period, probably coming back in March 2021. But we're going to be still around. We don't want you to forget us. We don't want to drop off your radar. We want to keep the conversations going. So we have a few ideas that we're going to be doing and that we're going to be implementing. One of them is a newsletter um, that will start in the new year, but you should be getting on the mailing list now so you don't miss out. But there's also, you know, I asked the question, what would you like to hear? What would you like to get from the LC Love podcast? We're thinking about creative um, activities, um, workshops, but what do you want to see added to our arsenal? Because we are a powerful force that is here and sticking around, even though we do need to take a rest over the winter period. Rest is vital and rest is almost like, no, it is. It's a terrorist act, man, because that's another thing with white supremacy culture. It's go, 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 produce, produce, produce. You got to keep going. If there's an urgency, everything has to be done now, now, now. And rest, oh my gosh, it's like a dirty word. But of course, this podcast, it's radical. It's a rebel. 
and we're here to change and break down the system. That is so unjust and unfair. Anyhow, let's get into this episode. And what's going to come up next is the theme tune, man, because you know you love it and you shouldn't miss out on it just because I'm trying to shake it up and keep you engaged. So here it is, our next episode from the Earthsea Love Podcast. And thanks for being here. First thing that I ask you is, you know, tell me your name, your full name and where you are at this moment. Can you see anything outside your window or even just next to you, really, (laughs) you know, nature wise? So, yeah. Yes. um, So my my name's Shira and I'm calling in from Tower Hamlets, which is in East London. So that's home. It's always been home. Um, And... I have a balcony, a tiny balcony, and um, yeah, I'm not going to lie, it's looking really great at the moment. Um, you know, we've been in lockdown, so I've had time to like uh, put some stuff in. Mm. Um, I got donated loads of goodies, so um, if, if you like, the borough's really great with loads of projects with you know seed swaps and plant giveaways. So I've got some chilies, some tomatoes, some lovely bulbs, and like right big at the beginning of lockdown. There were loads of rescue missions of different plants and like things that would have gone to waste. Um, so, and then you buy some of the stuff and the money goes back to supporting meals for NHS. So I've got like loads going on. In fact, like it's never looked this flush. <laughs> um, which is not always the case. So uh, You don't have to give these back, do you? They're yours now. They're your little babies now. You don't have to give them back once we come out of lockdown more. They're yours, yeah? exactly but I'm, I'm like sharing friends who know me I'm, I'm happy to give away like cuttings and those kind of things always like oh, sharing that's lovely that's lovely so you've just got this lovely oasis of green around you haven't you because I see your balcony and I see all this around your fireplace your fireplace looks lovely and green and white it's such a lovely match and I'm sorry I'm, I'm looking here because <laughs> we are but you've also got specimens you know um of <laughs> butterflies and beetles and <laughs> did you collect them yourself or did... they are just posters they're posters they're not... oh really they look so real um I, I i guess i like absolutely love butterflies and um stag beetles and all sorts of things and, and i thought why not have pictures of nature and things from the outside inside um uh, and, it, and it's great, yeah. I, I have like up my indoor plant collection recently. Yeah, I've had loads of time. I've been on furlough, and if you live in a tiny cramped flat, um, plants are your friends, and um, it's really good for like the pollution in the house. And I've become like a Zoom queen recently, so I thought I should like st- like put them all here. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's just <laughs> like you are within nature, really. You know, the fireplace is even immaterial to the the greenery around it so thank you you don't have the gardens some of us yeah yeah well you know i don't have a garden you know i just have a yard <laughs> you heard about the yard so I, did. I heard about the pigeons and the concrete yard yeah, yeah. really familiar by the way yeah yeah so you mentioned that you're on furlough do you want to tell us what you do 
um, and how you got to this point of what you do. Because um, maybe it was a circular route or a spiraling route to what you do now. Yeah, so it's all, the truth being is it's all accidental, isn't it? Um, <laughs> um, I'm really fortunate at the minute. Um, so I, like I said, I'm calling in from Tower Hamlets. And um, I, I work for a charity, an environmental feminist charity based in Tower Hamlets in my home borough, which is really great. Um, I've always like been interested in access to nature projects, um, climate and health, well-being programs and community gardening um, over the last six, seven years. And, um, you know, like most of us, Tower Hamlets in Tower Hamlets, um, particularly during the pandemic, we've really relied on like the importance of our green spaces and places, um, especially if you like live in tiny flats like this. The Women's Environmental Network were really great actually. They were giving out free plants and uh, grow your own plants at home and get gardening at home. So I have some of those here too, which is really great. Um, so I coordinate a um, green care program supporting survivors of domestic violence through healing and trauma. Um, mainly through gardening and creative activities. Um, you know, it's widely acknowledged that spending time outdoors in nature brings positive benefits to body and mind, but these benefits are not readily available to all of us, and we know this, um, you know, um, and that includes women who have suffered domestic violence. So quite often, women fleeing domestic violence are given refuge in an unfamiliar area, mm. you know, to provide like a safe distance from abusers. So in addition to the experience of trauma, the women in refuges don't feel confident to go out and explore and enjoy nature. Yeah. So, you know, we really hear about green care projects that are popping up across the country, including prisons, mental health institutions, care homes and drug and alcohol services. But very rarely do you hear of ones in women's refuges. Um, you know, refuges by their nature are often hidden from view, but really they shouldn't be forgotten about. And we should be using innovative approaches such as green care to really support recovery. So yeah, so I work on this project called the Soil Sisters Project. It's a three-year uh, project working alongside five women's refuges in East London. Um, and we are in year two. And we work with Asiana, Hestia and Refuge. And we provide social and therapeutic sessions um, that take place weekly. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, I'm really fortunate enough to work with a skilled um, team of five experienced gardeners. Yes. Uh, so did you know anything about gardening before you came into this? I mean, have you been trained professionally or academically about gardens or plants or horticulture, if we use the correct term? <laughs> um, yes and no. <laughs> so, yeah, I didn't like grow up, um, you know, with gardening and everything like that and then do that sort of traditional route. I, I don't know what the traditional route is, but I... Um, in the last seven years, have had to really skill up um, and, and go to horticultural college and do like a million different courses. I'm known as like a courseaholic person. Mm -hmm. I think, um, so I, I started off working in a primary school and they needed access, they needed somebody to come and help out on a um, food growing project. So the person who was helping wasn't available and I just came in to help. And um, I really, really enjoyed it. And I thought, oh, my God, this is really amazing. I'd love to be like back there outside next week and not in the classroom doing maths and English. And if you've been that kid like myself in a classroom where the teacher asks you, hey, tell us about your holidays, summer holidays. And everyone puts their hands up and is like, I've been to Cornwall and I've been to the Isle of Wight. And you're that kid who hasn't actually been anywhere. 
yes, you've cycled around and like on the estate and done things, but that's what it felt like. I'm being honest with you. Like I get, I get to work with kids who are like myself, who are like age seven, eight, nine, ten, and that's how I was. And mm. so we did loads of food growing classes and I absolutely loved it that they went on to like Tower Hamlet Cemetery Park. They needed um, an assistant to come <clears throat> and I really, really loved it. And I thought, oh my God, this could actually be a job. And how do you go about doing something like this? Is it a teaching assistant? Is it a teacher? No, an outdoor learning person is something different to that. Mm. And it was all kicking off. And there was something called forest schools just like kicking off everywhere. And I thought this is amazing, giving young people access to, uh, you know, team building skills, but in a local park or green care setting where people are making dens and building loads of social confidence. Um, so I just did Google searches and um, my local city farm that I went to as a child. So I hadn't really, my family, like we lost my brother when I was about 10 or 11. So my family were grieving and, you know, busy doing all of that. And so I don't remember going to do that stuff until much later on with school. They took me to like a local city farm and you know how they take you on these orienteering courses. I really like, I, I'm so grateful to my teachers who exposed me to all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I guess as a result, I've become the adult taking other young people's kids in the area doing that. So it's become full 60. So mm-hmm. I applied for a job at um, Spitterfield City Farm, which is my local city farm. And I went to school next door. So it's as a, as a kid, we went to visit. And, and then I started working there with the local kids from my old school. Mm-hmm. And before applying, I thought it was the funniest thing. I didn't know what a horticultural course was or how I needed like tree skills and ID skills. I didn't know what they were. I had to like really Google them and do loads of different courses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I discovered uh, um, Capel Manor, Organic Lee, and realizing, you know, these courses cost so much money and how do you do them? And then I discovered so many different food growing projects in the area particularly what like one I was bored anyway and it was a lovely way to meet loads of different people in the area yeah yeah and if you know how like community gardens work they're, they're just full of amazing different folk people who like you could live next door to and never ever speak because you just look so different you could come from different class backgrounds and I just really really enjoyed it and it was just fascinating learning about soil how to make good soil and where's it all come from and looking at bedrock and things it's just fascinating and um do you do what you need to do isn't it if you want to pay your bill um want to do this job i had to go do courses my family were quite funny at the beginning why are you doing these courses why are we going backwards Uh Uh, i mean there's so much there that you've just said that i want to unpick and like oh gosh where where to start i mean you're talking about the the healing work the green care that you've been doing with the women um and how nature can help you heal and then you just touched upon that bit about you know you lost your brother and then okay you can't remember much about that time but you do remember going to a farm and then getting involved a bit more in nature yourself. And I asked the question, have you found that nature has healed you in so many ways or not in any ways? Oh my goodness, 100%. Um, yes, we do social horticultural uh, therapeutic gardening sessions for women going through all sorts. Um, but as someone who also has gone through mental health challenges, of course I've like, I've 
truly grasp like the benefits of nature and outdoor. Maybe I didn't have the language to call it all those things or understand that that's a thing. Horticultural courses. It is about IDing things, isn't it? And how to take care of them. But there's not, I'm, I'm imagining there's not within there how much nature gives back to us or how much the plant and the soil gives back to us. I mean, I think that just comes with the experience, isn't it? Doing these courses with such a diverse diverse range of people that you have these conversations over the soil and you're having these conversations over the soil in the sense of like, you're all the same at that point, aren't you? You're all working with the soil. It doesn't matter where you come from, what colours your hands in the soil. It's a case of like, you're together working with nature. I mean, how does, how does that feel? I love the way you just um, introduced that, by the way. Yes, that's all true, by the way. Um, it is, you know, I'm going back to, um, like, the city farm experience. Um, you know, you know how it is. You get given a job, and it's not completely everything in your JD. You have to do more things, and I loved it, you know. Um, I was going through all sorts of things, and I remember, like, the best thing was, like, putting the animals away. That wasn't part of my JD, but it was a communal thing that we did together, We'd have our lunches together with people from all over, like outside of London, UK, like I said, our paths wouldn't cross. And we're having conversations about animals to like tea bags to coffee and where it all comes from. And I think when you have a shared task and you're outside or, you know, the perfect example is of a fire. People just talk and I think those barriers come down and whatever, like, I don't know, whatever PhD you have in soil management and the rest of it, like, it kind of doesn't matter like you're I think we it's it's an example of sort of you know your lived experiences or your stories with nature they all sort of come out and um when you're building something together or you're planting or getting a bed ready it's all about teamwork isn't it you can't do the job yourself yeah yeah and it's all it's all been leveled then isn't it we're all working on this common task and we're all bringing our lived experience to it and yeah I, I see I see that yeah <laughs> you you mentioned your family you were saying that they found it a bit strange you taking all these courses and what you said is like oh gosh how are you going backwards now what do you mean by that what's where's your family come from yeah so my family um so in British Bangladeshi they came over here in the 70s to Brick Lane um and you, you know they work really hard like classic immigrant story they work really really hard to get where they are and I guess if you, what I meant was if you've like come from hardship you were continuously working and you want to make sure everyone is fed clothed things are paid for and that there's some sort of security and uh, you know in that time in order to do that it was to go to university maybe do politics medicine something like that I guess I did like an arts thing that was really um, interesting and really, really fun. But again, you have to do loads of like paid internships to get places. And I did that. Um, so going to do like, uh, like food growing was something a little bit different. Yes, we have land back home. Um, and, you know, women collect fire sticks and everything. But I feel like we've lost loads of that. My mm. generation, the British Bangladeshi generation here in Tower Hamlets, we've come such a long way away from it. Mm -hmm. um, I remember telling them we are making herbal remedies. Um, <clears throat> you know, we don't have to have medicine. Like, why don't we have like rosemary tea at three o'clock, you know, as a pick me up. And <clears throat> although my mom like grows tomatoes and chilies, I'm not sure she, she doesn't really get like, she just uses her hands and doesn't think about it and does it. Yes. 
they're like, what do you need to do a course for? Why, why do you need to pay £2,000 to do a course? Yes. You have that luxury to do that. If you yeah. want to grow stuff, why don't you just grow it? So it took ages. They weren't, they, they weren't, they didn't discourage me or anything, but it took a while for them to understand. And I still see those looks when I run um, cooking and gardening sessions in Esau places. Um, when there's Bangladeshi women, um, I can hear them speaking in my language saying, why is she making us eat um, leaves and these kind of things? Um, it's sort of, re and I can hear them say, and that, that comment comes from a cooking class where someone has said, she's, you know, we've come to cook big things and cake and pastry. Why is she making us drink leaves and herbal teas? We've come such a long way from mud huts and all sorts. Yeah. And it giggle. Um, <laughs> yes, we have come from all those things. Maybe mm. we need to go backwards a little bit and reach in there and look at like why people are fitter, why we did things the way we did and actually coming away and buying more processed stuff or whatever it is we're doing right now is a little bit different and maybe we can learn from them. There's nothing shameful or embarrassed, but I guess this is what society does. You have to work really hard and you forget about natural things that were there at the beginning and the way we did things. Um, I guess media, billboards, and the constant, you know, being on a treadmill and trying to get somewhere, it doesn't, it doesn't help. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Such, such wisdom there. So, so much of it resonates with me. I mean, I've shared bits about my dad's story and how once he's come to the UK, it's almost for, he forgets or he's forgotten or wants to forget almost there is that attitude that it was backward and it wasn't as developed as the west as the uk so what we what we're bringing with us will be no use here so let's forget it and nothing was passed on what you're saying now is that we're we're we having to actively re-engage or remember or relearn these things i mean my dad has um, gone now for a long time. So I can't turn to him and say, hey, sit me down now and tell me how I can grow these tomatoes. <laughs> tell me, please. Have you had any discussions with your mum about her passing on her her knowledge? Or is it the way that you're saying that your mum just makes things? It's, it's like it's a given. It's part of her makeup. And to actually divorce it from herself is something that she hasn't really had to do to look at it, to analyse it that way. Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. This is a funny one. Let me see how I can explain it. Um, you know, we have conversations and I, you know, ask her, I'm kind of doing what you're doing, but getting paid for it. It'd be really great. Like, if you taught me some more or maybe we can make some signs in Bengali. Quite often you get loads of other food growers or women who turn up to city farms and places. There's language barriers and everything, but they're so skillful and you need all of those you can have your horticultural knowledge and know how to amend the soil and the rest of it, but sometimes you need those seeds. They come from different climates, or you just, you know, like special seeds or like kodus. You, you need a mixture of things. Um, so sometimes she gets it, um, sometimes forgets. Um, I also understand she's grown up in a different time, and and you know she's in her 80s. So we pass. She's like shares recipes of cooking and that kind of stuff all the time absolutely and has her way of doing things so i guess she has loads of practical experience and i might have a little bit more theory and i think together that's that's a good thing we always have conversations you know about the climate crisis or like the conversational tea bags and like does she know where they're coming from mm. why a woman in the sari is it what's yorkshire tea is it really made in um yorkshire, yorkshire. Mm. we have 
conversations like that. And when she sees demos on the streets or asks me where I'm going, she'll ask, doesn't quite get it. So we, we have conversations and um, starting with our clothes and, um, you know, where they've come from and um, where they've been made mm-hmm. and at what cost. And there are people like herself or myself in factories that have collapsed not long ago, um, you know, so it's food and gardening, but actually it's bigger than that. I think that's a vehicle into so many different things, um, our body, our own environments, our political stance of things. Mm-hmm. Generation learning. Yeah. yeah, the economic system. Because, you know, just when we were chatting before, we made that connection that we'd been to the same event last summer. Um, and it was the Wretched, Wretched of the Earth gathering. Was it was it called a gathering? But it was coming together to try and address climate justice um, and how how within the climate movement, the climate change movement, there's a lack of black, Asian, mm-hmm. ethnic voices within there at the forefront. And this was trying to find some ways to bring out these voices. Um, so if we could just talk about that, how did you find that event? I mean, that was the first event that I'd been to environment wise, but also black led. <laughs> what about yourself? Oh my goodness. <clears throat> I love talking about this. I, I feel like I found my tribe, um, this time last year. Well, it was August last year and we are the global majority. Remember yes. That? People, <laughs> people of the global majority. Yes. <laughs> um, So I I had a really great experience uh, last summer of sort of waking up and finding my tribal people who um, have been experts doing a lot of these things, academics, people with lived experiences, people doing amazing stuff. And um, and maybe we haven't seen them on the BBC that was covering other sorts of things at that time. Mm -hmm. um, Oh, my goodness. It was I was blown away. I. I have actively been looking for people of color spaces. Um, I've been looking since last year properly, mm-hmm. um, like Googling, finding, talking. And um, that was one of the ways I found that. And um, I was actually at Wild in the City um, Festival. Okay. And this is another people of color led. Talk about I- that one as well. <laughs> there first. And it was like a four day weekend festival celebrating. Uh, the diversity in the environmental sector and outdoors um, and looking at the contribution that um, people of colour have made to the museum heritage sector. And it was just, you know, it was so inspiring. Oh, my goodness. And I hadn't even realised that it was a people of colour event because it was written in such little writing at the bottom. Mm. To be honest, I wanted a camping trip and, and I wanted to go along and, and, and get out of Tower Hamlets and see and, and be in nature. And... I knew about them because I'd had like, I really admire Beth Collier who had set it up and I'd met her at the National Park City launch two years ago. Um, and we'll come to that in a bit. And I think I was like, you, I was, it was the first event that I went to where I saw so many people who looked like me, similar to me, <clears throat> as you know, like the environmental sector. Um, and you've worked for so many different trusts and places and museums. Um, everybody looks the same. And, um, As in white, do you mean? Everybody looks the same, yes. So they are <laughs> white. And there's also like a class issue. Like people are quite middle class and upper class. And 
and for a long long time that's all I've seen so I've not felt any different because I because I was saying to you the other day whereas at some points I haven't feel left out or anything because that's if you if you've grown up and seen everybody white middle class running the show on tv or nature programs gardening centers teachers every point of authority and everywhere yeah it's all you know and see yeah 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 it's normal exactly yeah so if you haven't been given or taught those critical thinking skills you just sort of follow along and and that's it and um so yes. it was the first time, and we sat in the fire, and I went, oh, my gosh, can I just, like, state the obvious? I've never seen this many people, like, like people of colour at, at this festival like this, mm. and, like, giggling. And then I realised a penny dropped what it was, and so it was a celebration. We had, like, amazing contributions from the Natural History Museum of Jamaica talking about the artefacts and the links between the museums here. It was so educational. Mm. We had a professor, an Indian professor from Oxford University, and it was the first time, my God, I'd seen amazing individuals that I'd wish I'd seen, like, you know that cross paths where you decide what kind of career you're going to go into? Yes. And it's not medicine, but... Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you wish they'd cross your path then. Exactly. It was all those people from well-being to health to, like, looking at sink sides, sites to looking at, like, bringing back creatures who are almost extinct. And then I met amazing, wonderful, like, people. I met Miranda, who works at the Natural History Museum, the first black curator there, and all sorts of amazing individuals that we bonded over. There was beautiful music, Mm -hmm. food, and it was such a great time. And we got talking, and we were like, there's a Wretched of the Earth event tomorrow. Are you coming? So I sort of discovered it there. Went along the next day, and I think you know, don't you? Like, it was just the most amazing amazing space ever and had it not been advertised as a people of color event i'm not sure i would have gone i have these conversations with people all the time yes i felt guilty for saying those things for a long time or because i have to say it feeling guilty about what wanting people of color spaces spaces that you shouldn't feel guilty about that because you know what we were talking about about growing up in a predominantly white society and you're the only black faces around it's it becomes normalized and our behavior is adapted and bent over and manipulated so we fit in and don't cause so much of a scene and it is to get by it is to to protect ourselves in a sense but we're used to it and then when when we get into a, a an all black space or people of color space it is it is a, a it is a welcome it is a welcome change and you're wanting it but it's also it is a case of you having to check yourself and and how you have been going on and how how that is miles away from how you could be going on if you were in that empowering people of color space oh my goodness 100% i get such like really warm fuzzy feelings when i think about that event and everything you're describing i'm totally feeling <laughs> Um, I, yeah, I was blown over by the people in the room, the, the knowledge and like, it was like a full powerhouse and just the way it was done. And I made, usually, I don't know if you've done this, Shuri, like if I've gone to a place and I see one more non-white person there, I just smile. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 I smile. Or if we're passing each other on the street, it's like a nod and I go, you all right? You know, (laughs) you know. But it is, it's that, it is, I know it's now, it's it's that acknowledgement. And it's like, I see you. Other people in the society, predominantly white, might not see you, 
but I see you. I acknowledge you. You have value. You have worth. That's what it's saying in that one little nod or smile. Absolutely. So I felt so many nods. I felt virtual <laughs> hugs. I, I made so many connections on that day. And I met like really special people in my life, actually, who have like something dropped that day, like completely. And I've been reflecting about this and COVID has given me loads of time to reflect. You know, I found you, this opportunity to talk with you yeah. and actually so many more other great things. And I, oh, I just remember like Fazana Khan on stage. I just thought you are like a Bangladeshi woman. Mm -hmm. Amazing, amazing things in the arts, health, climate. You just saw fascinating. There was, you know, Alex was there, Josh was there, Gopi Bola and just... You, you, Greta Thunberg is amazing but it was like a it was a completely and like at that time if you remember it was all about Extinction Rebellion and the oh. rebellion and that's all really great but I just felt represented in a different way and we were talking about we were talking about the climate crisis and how it affects us but more importantly like up until that point I'd been talking about teaching people about how to ditch plastic bags to canvas bags yeah. to walk in schools yeah, yeah. To, to like nature connection those kind of things but actually it was a little bit airy fairy which is actually sp aiming it at the individual like the individual's responsibility to make those changes that will bring about climate change that's absolutely. the difference isn't it but come on tell us the event absolutely and up until that point i just felt i just felt so empowered at that event because before that i thought you're an environmental educator. Like, what, what are you going to do? Like, I'm going to do workshops talking about food waste and all this, but I just found my tribe and everything clicked of mm. lived experiences and what I could offer and what collective vision was going to look like and our collective power. And it was called Building Our Power, and it literally did all those things. Yes. It was like Campaign 101 skills to um, mapping out all our stakeholders mm -hmm. to what we're going to do together and how to bring all this energy and jump on a movement and making sure that things are sustainable mm. fed it was in beautiful wolves lane garden it was just it was amazing and the links of why we've got where we are which is never talked about i've worked at london wildlife trust global generation city farms gardens everywhere mm. but we don't actually talk about those things it's really great to grow our food and talk about seeds sovereignty and and those kind of things but here it was just open space and it was you fully understood the way the climate crisis was a symptom of economic and social systems which are inherently racist and classist yeah and it was evidence you know the people at the forefront who were suffering um our communities like mine in the uk um and the global south were paying the cost and you know loads of us and other folk have been suffering for a long long time and it's not the suffering's not going to just come in the future people have been suffering a long time suffering yeah now yeah and saved what cost yeah save first and at what cost and what does it mean you know like the ugliest stuff that people don't talk about sometimes yes let's but, come together and transition together but actually can but we you, break it back and you're you know saying what? the ugly stuff yeah but what's wrapped up in the ugly stuff is our beautiful black and brown bodies you know, you know, and what you just said is so true that, the, you know, colonialism, imperialism, this is what's brought us to this point now. And it is the global south, which is bearing the brunt of it, have been and continue. If you think about the Pacific Islands that have disappeared and what is what that event showed for me is that. OK, yeah, it was in response to Extinction Rebellion, which. Um, 
which if anyone's listening don't know about is a, a movement environment movement that's set up to put on climate climate change climate emergency on the agenda in the uk but we have issues with that and i don't know if this is a space to talk about those issues or not but the idea of how they've been going about their activism is different for a white body in um in relation to a, a brown or black body in that case and here we're thinking about getting getting arrested on purpose you know we know from the system if it was a, a if it was a, a white woman that was arrested to a, a, a black man that was arrested, they'll be treated differently in the system. And those were the criticisms that were throwing up. Yes, it was great that it put it on the agenda, climate change, but they were not really being honest about the, the narrative, the true narrative of climate, clim the climate emergency, which is climate justice, recognising how black brown indigenous people are suffering but should also be listened to now they should be leading the movements what do you think oh my goodness um my, my belly's on fire i could listen to you all day and agree with you um yeah so that was august and hopefully like they have done things to address that and they're you know hopefully they are moving along a little bit and taking on i think people are trying their best in all sorts but it's almost, you know, you talk about narrative, it's so important. You know, a lot of black, indigenous and people of colour from working class backgrounds have been doing a lot of work behind the scenes and the current, you know, narrative is, is not reflective of this. So I think space sharing, amplifying the voices of those who have come before us, who've done this lot of work for a long, long time, don't want airtime, broadcast time, and knowing that so many marginalised communities are raising the alarm on social justice that issues that they are directly affected by i think it's important that they lead the crisis that they are affected by and you know we know people can't turn up to direct actions or broadcast interviews there's multiple reasons um so you know shifting the narrative i remember like do you remember when they were sharing like vanessa was taken off um a, pic a picture like there were like there was young climate activists on a newspaper article and it was just cut off like, yes black and brown bodies were cutting off and yes it was all, that was all going on and it just really opened my eyes up to making connections of what we can do and the power that we have between ourselves on that event mm. and how we can all bring it together and how much our lived experiences are that's all you need and they mm. are the tools that you need and how do we form together to talk there's space for so many different people to talk about issues movements are going to grow and they're going to you know there's going to be quiet what times peak times how do we it was just yeah it was a you know i told you i come from tower hamlet's fifth most air we've got the worst air quality in london and it just it reshifted my focus on like what are like the charities around here doing and are we fit for purpose do we do we serve the communities that we say we're serving does the do the charities look like you know the communities that they they serve and it just it just really looked at like i was looking at all the different ngos and charities in the environmental sector and then figure out oh my god why are we not seeing more goppy bowlers and alex and joshies everywhere else and mm. um, where have you been but the truth is they've been there all this time beth polly and everything else if we then look at the climate reframe project it's amplifying a hundred voices in the environmental and climate movement yes there are more than a hundred voices there are so many cool people whose names are on, aren't on there for various yes. reasons um but we, we all know that we all exist right mm -hmm. yeah. and i guess that event was a showcase 
and I know this is simplifying it, but it was a showcase of the expertise, the lived experiences, and all our skills and everything we have to offer. Mm. Uh, We're here. We're we here. Exist, and we talked mm. about passing on the baton, didn't we? Like, mm. in order things for to grow, we need to pass on the baton, allow space for new bodies to turn up, new, you know, let the voiceless have a voice. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I met like so many different people were like thinking about a decolonizing book club coming up for women of color and it was just a magic place full of all sorts of people and I can't wait for the next one you know yeah yeah I hear you and, and as I say I I traveled to London and I'm, I'm not sure if it was for the day or if I stayed over or not but I knew I had to be there I knew I had to go because it would be such a unique space for me to be within. Um, and I thought, it, for me personally, for a healing space for me to be in, and also a support, even encouraging space, because it is a case of like taking a piece of what happened down there and bringing it back up here with me and seeing what I can do up here in the Northeast. Coming to an end now, but just when you were talking about the idea of charities in your area and are they really serving the people and do they look like the people and you mentioned where you work now you will actually work with five gardeners did you say that do they look like you no um they they don't look like me um so um so myself and one of my lovely colleagues um yeah so a bangladeshi so there's two british bangladeshi women yeah and it's really great and I hope she's listening and, and know how amazing she is. They're all amazing. But I think in order to see next generation of gardeners and people coming up, you need to see people like that a lot more. And also, the you know, the, the houses that we, um, the refuge houses we go in, three of them are specifically for um, women from Asian backgrounds. So actually, it's so empowering. You know, when we are we teaching women to tool, build tools, and we're both South Asian women. Yes. If you've come from a South Asian household or other household, you know, like, that's not the, they're not the skills you get taught. Mm -hmm. So, yes, we're growing seeds, but also you've got a coordinator, a gardener coming in who looks like you or your sister. I think there's, it's, it's really empowering. And I think it's simple, but I think it's, you can't ignore that. That's, that's a thing. And I think people don't notice those things. You know, part of our project has been to train leaders, black women, to lead groups out into the countryside. And who we work with are black and Asian and different ethnicities. And to see someone in a role of, of authority or a leader or expert or expertise who looks like you makes a difference it opens up your mind to other possibilities and that was what we were just saying that was so missing when we were at our career path you know i remember our career fair did i have i told that story before it's like when i go and see my my career man um and i say to him hey i fancy being a, a teacher or a policewoman and he says, oh, no, Sheree, you'd be better off um, serving in a shop. What? <laughs> and, you know, what came was the army or the police or the nurses or the banking and nothing that was, like, creative and nothing that was for nature and nothing that was had a black or brown face attached to it. And it does keep your, your limitations limited. <laughs> 
agree. I think it's like, you know, what you do with the ladies in the countryside and bringing about faces and new people and, and not just that like as a token, but being like the face and and it's I, I'm in awe of the work that you do. And I think it's amazing. I wish I had that a long, long time ago. And and, you know, it's not all about Bear girls or like people like that that you see mm. on TV all the time. Like, I, I don't want to see all of that. I, I want to mm. see more black and Asian women leaders doing expeditions. But also, I think for, for new people coming up, if you if you don't have the tools and the resources, how do, or if you haven't been given the opportunity or shown that there's an opportunity, how do you even know that's out there? Exactly. To dream or to get somewhere, you have to dream, right? Yeah. Representation and things are not good enough. Like yeah. putting your job adverts out somewhere and looking at how you're recruiting is not good enough. Yeah, yeah. Yes, into entry is something that we need to do. London Wildlife Trust had like an amazing something for under 30s to skill up and and learn all these like tree skills and surgery skills and amazing but that went it was like funded and it left so by the time it hit 30 it was gone like I couldn't apply and I think we need to see more of those programs getting um uh, black and Asian women environmental leaders organizers out in the countryside doing mm. expositions learning kind of like what you're doing yeah yeah but what even better is making that connection across the country yeah you know hooking up with you has been so inspirational because you're doing great work down there on the ground and okay it's with women in a refuge so it might be hidden but it's not actually hidden to these women it changes their lives it empowers them and gives them the confidence to get back out and live life on their terms and that sorry join our expeditions why not yeah yeah, I just think it's really good that we are connecting because a lot of the time, and it does and it does come down to the funding, we get funding for just specific projects within the specific region and these are the parameters that we have to work in. But who says we shouldn't be talking to each other across country and sharing resources and sharing what we're doing and hooking up? Because, you know, seeing each other doing this is, is so like, yay, we're cheering each other on and it just makes us want to achieve more for ourselves and others. Absolutely. I just think we've got loads of ideas and, and you know, I just, I the truth is like, and it's controversial, but I just think there should be more money ring fenced for people of colour to do more access to nature programmes and leadership ones. So the work that you're doing, I could see it like, it's, it's obviously in so much demand. If we look at mental health, well-being and and who gets access to resources and how yeah creative writing workshops like you you just don't see anyone and i just think there is money but like you said it's a little bit of money but mm-hmm. why can't we it and like the pandemic has shown people are looking at things differently and i think yes yeah. they recognize that and amplify the voices and look at who's working where and things need to change and this is the time to like do collective power stuff together. If you've said it before, that's great, but this might be the time to actually do things. And mm. I'm looking forward to seeing like Friends of the Earth and everyone else and whoever they are, like some sort of shift. Yes, yes. And on that note, we're gonna have to finish. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Much appreciated. Thank you so much for your time. You can make sense now. <laughs> The Earth Sea Love Podcast has been made possible 
buy the funding from National Lottery Heritage Fund. Thank you.